and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast NFC Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy Wednesday afternoon, and joining me as always, the one, the only, PFF's finest, Kevin Cole. Kevin, we just broke down the AFC for an hour. Now we're on the NFC. Great day to be great, my friend. That it is. Yeah, we, we, we did that. We had some breaking news that's going on here. I'm trying to collect some more, potentially, for, for, for the NFC here. But we need... We need more NFC buys. I'm feeling like we, we had too many last time. Yeah. We need to even that out. What's going on here in the NFL? Who are these schedule makers? I know you do 5 billion iterations of the schedule. <laughs> can we get equal number of AFC and NFC buys per week so that these our podcasts can be equally sized also? I just don't know why the NFL doesn't prioritize the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Maybe I'm one a day. First place NFC East still undefeated. Your Philadelphia Eagles at 8-0. Now, the remaining schedule, Kevin, they got Washington, the Colts, the Packers, Titans, Giants, Bears, Cowboys, Saints, and Giants. It's the NFL. I'm not saying those are all gimmies. They're not going to be double-digit favorites in every single game. That's a reasonable pathway to going undefeated. Jalen Hurts and company keeping on, keeping on with the second-ranked scoring offense in the NFL. And similar to the Bills, I think, like we just focus. It's 2022 fantasy football. People, especially us, focus more on offense than defense. But that defense is freaking filthy good as well. And that's even having lost Jordan Davis uh, for a bit on IR uh, put on there a couple of weeks ago. So overall thoughts on the Eagles. Again, the win-loss record tells us they're the best team in the NFL. And I don't think they've maybe look as an Ohio state, this fan just pains me to say Kevin, but like when I look at Ohio state, Michigan, I think Ohio state's had higher, a higher ceiling, a higher overall level they've reached, but Michigan's had the far higher floor. I think you can make a similar argument for the Eagles versus teams like the chiefs, like the bills. Who do I think when they play their best football game is better? I'll take the chiefs and bills, but the Eagles credit where credits do. I think they've had the highest floor of any team in the NFL this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the record. Their conference also is a lot easier, so their path to the Super Bowl is easier. The one thing that plays against a team's strength sort of metric based upon how their results have been is that, according to our numbers, they have had the easiest schedule year-to-date, and then they have the seventh easiest schedule for the rest of the year. So this is one of these things where you mentioned what they have for going on for the rest of the year. Like anytime you look up, there's rarely any tests. So like, I don't know if I believe in the measuring stick sort of phenomenon or, you know, you know, earning some stripes during the season that you can then carry forward into the playoffs. I'm never going to have much of an opportunity to do that for this team. So maybe that's a downside, but you can only beat the teams that are put in front of you and, and they're doing that. Again, this week, Washington on Monday Night Football, Philly 11-point home favorites game total resting at 44. So this was the matchup that Devontae Smith boomed in back in week three, eight catches, 169 yards, and a touchdown. I'm not saying just because he did it in week three, it means he's going to keep on keeping on moving forward. But this is a defense that hilariously, Kevin, you know, they lose William Jackson. They they decide to trade him because William Jackson didn't want to be in such a zone-heavy defense. And last week, for the first time, maybe in the last three years, at least this season was the first time they deployed shadow coverage on Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen all season long. So we go ahead, you know, hey, we lose our best man corner, and now all of a sudden let's start maybe trying to play a little more man coverage out there. But regardless, I do think with Devontae Smith, it's just a situation where it's still a pretty run-first offense. I mean, seventh lowest pass play rate in non-garbage time situations this year, and it's going to be tough in that environment for each of Smith, Goddard, and A.J.B. to 
go off during any given week. So I view Devontae Smith a little bit like Gabriel Davis. I mean, I have Gabriel Davis ranked higher than him because we're a little more confident in Allen and that pass happy, uh, you know, Bill's offense putting up more weekly production through the air. But I still have Devontae Smith as my wide receiver 25. I think him versus Christian Kirk is a fair question, but I still would feel good about Smith ahead of guys like Deontay Johnson, Michael Pittman, Cortland Sutton, Adam Thielen, those types. What are you thinking about him for this week and moving forward? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with everything that you said there. And I have trouble perceiving what, you know, markets may be thinking about here. But we're, we're a while separated from some of the uh, big week games that we saw from him earlier this year. You know, they had the bye, they came off of that. And he hasn't been ranked inside the top 50 wide receivers in any particular week in PPR. So is he a buy low guy? Can you get him for a decent price? I don't know. Because he, again, the schedule is just so easy all season. And when you play out the fantasy playoffs and you play out what happens between these receivers who kind of only one of them can go off each week. But, you know, there's a decent amount of simulations that are going to be Devontae Smith happens to be the guy each week of those fantasy playoffs and ends up winning you a championship. So for that reason, I would explore it. AJB Goddard continuing to be must-start options each and every week. And Miles Sanders isn't too far behind them. Just a consistent, solid RB2. He's the PPR RB17 on the season. Joins guys like Damian Pierce, Derek Henry, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette with six top 24 finishes on the season. So, yeah, second-ranked scoring offense. Guess what? A lot of good fantasy success all the way around. Second place, six and two Dallas Cowboys coming off their bye. They're going to be in Green Bay this week. Cowboys five point road favorites. Game total just 42 and a half. So it was just, just killing me last week, Kevin. Like the entire discussion, we got the Cowboys. I think. Going into last week, they had the fourth best point differential in the NFL. They're winning games by double-digit scores, you know, just really looking impressive all the way around, and people just couldn't shut the hell up about their running back rotation. I think the thing that really flew under the radar was how good Dak finally looked in week eight. I mean, week one was terrible before he got hurt. Like, that offense was absolutely abysmal. And guess what? Week seven, first game back against the Lions. I mean, that was a war going into the fourth quarter. Six or seven-minute mark was when the Cowboys really turned things around but that 24 to 6 final score really wasn't indicative of how tough sledding that offense performance was especially for the passing game but in week 8 90.3 pff passing grade 9.3 yards per attempt 84 percent adjusted completion rate look michael parsons and that defense i mean i understand we've seen it without dak they're capable of taking over and winning plenty of games for them but all of a sudden man if we can take that defense with this top tier version of dak prescott that we haven't necessarily seen for an extended entire season stretch before but he's had some six seven game stretches over the years where it hasn't been outrageous to put him into that top 10 even dare i say top five quarterback discussion just for those specific stretches how confident are you in Dak prescott looking more like the guy we saw in week eight moving forward versus the guy that was on display in week one and week seven yeah yeah i'm pretty confident honestly in this i mean they have the defense is playing well the running game is going decently well so maybe you're not going to get a ton of volume, but I think it can be efficient. And obviously you have CD Lamb there. You have Michael Gallup starting to round back into form. You have Dalton Schultz coming back. That's really enough, I would say, there, along with the running backs that they have in that offense to build you a pretty good system going forward. And like the Eagles, they also have fairly easy schedule going forward. So it's another one of those plays where, you know, if you have some of those players on this team, if you have like a Dallas, if you have a Dak Prescott or someone else, if you want to try to stack 
some of these guys together, make some trades to do so, it, it could end up being profitable in the fantasy playoffs. Kevin mentioned that schedule again in Green Bay this week. They go into Minnesota, but then three straight home games against the Giants, Colts, Texans at Jacksonville in week 15 before an NFC East showdown on Christmas Eve against the Philadelphia Eagles. So keep an eye out for all those. But yes, six most run heavy offense in the league this year. The Cowboys are behind only Ravens, Browns, Bears, Titans, and Falcons. I think a lot of that does have to do with them being more willing to embrace a run with Cooper Rush under center for that extended stretch. But did you, uh, did you catch the Lendale one? White Chris Johnson discussion about these running backs, Kevin. No, I did not. I did not. It was fantastic. Uh, just talking about it. Basically, Lendale had Zeke's side and Chris Johnson had Tony Pollard's uh, side. And Lendale was like, look, you got to realize if you started giving Pollard Zeke's workload, you know, he wouldn't be keeping up the efficiency the same. And then CJ2K is saying like, but come on, man, like could Zeke even get the corner on that play if you actually called it for him? So it was just interesting because, you know, the thunder and lightning, we obviously saw Lendale really be a part of this, both at USC uh, with Reggie Bush and then in the NFL with the Titans. I mean, I know he flamed out pretty quick, but Lendale really did have a couple solid NFL years even before Chris Johnson really took things over. So do you think there's something uh, behind that, Kevin? Again, it's one of those tougher things to monitor, but let's face it. I mean, when the Cowboys are in the business of winning football games, I know they have 90 million reasons to continue to, you know, feed Zeke ahead of Pollard. (sighs) I just I feel like the big my big takeaway from the whole Tony Pollard phenomenon is that we'd be having the same conversation if he was on just about any other team out there. It's not like he's just outperforming Zeke. He's literally outperforming every running back in the league in terms of yards per carry with that league high 6.3 mark. So how do you, I guess, you know, with the change of pace running backs, you know, averaging a higher efficiency, then the guy's getting more volume. Like at what point do you think we can draw a line and just say, yeah, this guy's better? Uh, I mean, I think you could probably do that, but you, I mean, there obviously there's a contract. There's kind of the the reputation of Zeke. He's not been bad, bad in a way. And when he's your guy, if you're going to say we're going to carve out for him, we're going to say short yardage, maybe goal line will will be his. He's a good pass blocker, so we rely upon him in some of those situations. That starts to eat up enough snaps where you're not going to get any sort of dominant workload for Pollard, no matter what happens and what they turn over to him. Big problem with Zeke's fantasy floor this year has been just more touchdown reliant than ever. He only has six catches in seven games this year. I mean, last year he low-key caught 47 passes, and the three years before that he was clearing 50 each and every year. So, again, I think that's probably a good move for the Cowboys passing game. Throwing the ball to Zeke, not going to help you out, you know, as much as it is throwing it to Pollard or CeeDee Lamb. Just something to keep in mind here where I don't think Zeke quite as bad as just Tony Pollard is really freaking good, and it's okay in the year 2022, even on Twitter to acknowledge that, you know, Pollard and Zeke, maybe, maybe, maybe both pretty damn good at football. Pick a side. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Pick a side. Always. (laughs) There's no no engagement in that. Come on. You have to pick a side. And then sometimes even switch sides mid-season. Nobody even, (laughs) nobody will even notice. Trust me. Nobody notices. Just switch. Third place, six and two. Giants also coming back from their bye. They are home this week against the Texans, six and a half point favorites. Game total resting at a lowly 40 and a half points. So Daniel Jones, six and two. 
When is a win? He's a winner, Kevin. He also hasn't thrown for 220 yards in a game this season. I mean, he was he has, a loser before, but I guess he, so. He's a winner now, though. Not now, he's a winner. Now he has, he's a winner. <laughs> he has six passing touchdowns in eight games. So, look, I think this spot is fine enough. I mean, this Houston defense uh, dead at last in PPR points per game allowed to running backs. And let's face it, Daniel Jones gets most of his fantasy production on the ground. Only Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen have more fantasy points per game from purely rushing production than Jones this season that said i think we've seen the giants and their losses against the cowboys against the seahawks when they aren't able to get these games into the one possession mode in the fourth quarter where they can just went out with some good defense good coaching all that it has been a problem so has your opinion on daniel jones really changed at all this season because personally giving him a little bit benefit of doubt it's not like it's similar to green bay i think where you looked at this wide receiver room before the year we weren't blown away by it. So then when all those guys pretty much get injured, like what do you expect to kind of happen in the passing game? That said, man, again, not even 220 yards, six touchdowns in eight games. Do you think that Daniel Jones has any hope in the future of becoming a consistent, good NFL quarterback? Mm, I mean, not good. He could probably be average. And then you add in the rushing stuff, and I think that helps quite a bit. My concern when it comes to the rushing stuff is – because of his sneaky athleticism, maybe when he started rushing the season, that defenses were like, okay, like we're not going to take it th- that seriously. And then, okay, well, we're still going to like not take it that seriously. It's not like when Justin Fields explodes or something like that. So maybe, you know, defenses are like, okay, we just can't let this guy do this anymore. We have to make sure we have someone there on any sort of read option. We have to make sure we have someone running directly at his face when he's doing these naked bootlegs that he can't turn around and end up running the ball after that. So I'll be interested to see if he can keep that up going forward because obviously it's been a big part of his game, but I also think it was catching defenses off guard maybe for a little bit too long versus how long it should have been. Saquon Barkley, my overall RB1 of the week, similar to Austin Eckler. from Bold, put him three, four. Getting absolutely crazy. But you're starting him uh, regardless, especially in this spot. Again, league worst defense and PPR points per game against running backs. The Texans have played eight games. They have allowed the overall PPR RB1 or RB2 in five of those games uh, somehow. So Saquon joins Brees Hall, only running backs this year with the top 24 PPR finish in every single game they have played. Last question here, Kevin, is what to make about Wandale Robinson. You know, your favorite fantasy analyst, favorite waiver wire pickup for seemingly three straight weeks, you know, there. Now we have had three games here. First one comes out, plays just 15 snaps, 37 yards and a touchdown. Comes out the next week, six catches and 50 yards. Did have the 15-yard scoreless dud right before the bye week. So we have seen plenty of times over the years, you know, bye week team comes back and we see the rookies maybe getting that little post-bye bump. There really isn't anyone else to throw the ball to in this offense. Kenny Galladay maybe coming back, though, Kevin. Uh, look out for the mannequin out there. But with Wandale, like, is this someone that could be a volume-based wide receiver three moving forward, or is there a higher ceiling for him? Uh, I don't know if there's much of a higher ceiling. My concern is that you take a passing game, which is probably never going to be high, high volume. You combine that with the fact that in his last two games, uh, when he had the higher snap counts, he had a 1.9 yard a dot and a 4.3 yard a dot. You put all that together. That means you need touchdowns or you need high volume when you're having that sort of, or you need a lot of run after catch, which he can provide to a degree, but I don't think he's some sort of Uber athlete that's going to end up getting that. So I think he's kind of stuck exactly what you talked about. One other thing that I want to mention, just for anyone who's trying to figure out, you know, who to maybe add to the roster, who could help not only potentially propelling you into the playoffs, but when it comes playoff time, 
I mean, I don't know if this is correct or not, but I looked at Yahoo today and Matt Breida is owned in or rostered, I should say, in one percent of leagues. Like, isn't this a guy that you might want to have there just in case sort of situation? I don't. Here's my thing. Brian Dable, wide open Buffalo backfield last year, and they couldn't even find a way to get Brita on the field there. So this, to me, seems like a situation where, God forbid, something did happen to Saquon. I am knocking on wood, everyone. I just think that there would be another running back addition slash Brita wouldn't have quite the same level of workload, but... Man, 1%, like that's, I think it's too far down in that direction. When you look at the top running backs, uh, you know, really in fantasy, the two handcuffs that are widely available that I don't think are being appreciated enough are Matt Breida and also Samaje Pirine over there with the Bengals. You know, we're really locked into some of these other situations. Rashad White uh, with the Buccaneers, you know, obviously. And situations like, you know, Green Bay, Minnesota, and Dallas were very, you know, tuned into the handcuff RB right there. But that was why Nathan. Yankee and I spent a good 30 minutes on the waiver pod going over, you know, the handcuffs for each and every team around the league. And I believe the, again, big three or so that we were able to take away with Matt Breida, Samaje Pirine, and even a little bit of Dontrell Hilliard out there where it's not quite the same as those guys. I do think Hassan Haskins would have a decent role if Derrick Henry was sidelined. That said, Hilliard still is the clear cut number two with some of that pass catching goodness. So Far worse guys to have out there. And at a minimum, man, like you brought up the Deshaun Watson thing last pod, like just the potential trade value of the situation. At a minimum, if you have Matt Breida on your roster and Saquon gets hurt, like Breida's going to be on the top of every single waiver wire article. And just the value gain you would have from already having him on the squad. It's a good point, Kevin. Good job by you right there. Thank you. I mean, yeah, we don't know. Like we we don't know what's going to end up happening with him. But the only thing that we do know, the piece of evidence that we have so far this season is if we look at total snaps – for running backs for the Giants. Saquon Barkley, 449. Matt Breida, 106. Gary Brightwell, 14. Antonio Williams, 2. So he's there's no one else who's doing anything there. It doesn't mean he's going to be the workhorse, but at least we have some evidence in that regard that they have him clearly above the other two. Last place, four and five, Washington Commanders. So I appreciate Taylor Heineke making the most Taylor Heineke play of all time on that triple coverage bomb to Curtis Samuel. Ref-induced aid gets the touchdown to Curtis. But at the end of the day, three starts, 23, 17, and 17 points scored. He is PFF's lowest-graded passing quarterback on the season among 38 qualified because he has a league-high 8.2% turnover-worthy play rate. And guess what? Monday Night Football in Philly, 11-point dogs mentioned before how this Eagles defense absolutely terrifying number one in EPA allowed per pass play passer rating allowed second in yards per pass attempt and explosive pass play rate so Terry McLaurin we've seen him win against Darius Slay over the years he even did so back when these guys faced off in week three I still think he's a viable low-end wide receiver two and Curtis Samuel still in that wide receiver three mix thanks to that sneaky solid rushing workload he continues to get Keep an eye on Jahan Dotson coming back soon from injury with that hamstring issue, but just have your expectations for this passing game as a whole a little bit down this week. But Kevin, I have one question for you. On the football field, what does Brian Robinson do better than Antonio Gibson? Because I have nothing. Uh, not a lot, other than the fact that it seems like the coaches, as we saw over the offseason, they're just not enthralled by something about Antonio Gibson. Uh, whether it's how he practices, how he's handling the playbook, I don't know exactly what it is, but yeah, it's it's, it's just it's just a mess. It's just a mess that that backfield. And for Curtis Samuel, I just want to mention him real real quickly. I mean, we saw the bomb last week. 
into triple coverage. He hasn't had a lot of targets, so this a dot, these A dot numbers maybe aren't the most representative. But I do think it's interesting. Fourteen point three yard A dot in week eight, nineteen point seven last week, including that bomb pass we saw in there, and then Terry McLaurin down to nine point four. Part of the problem with McLaurin earlier this season was he was functioning more as a deep threat. Was not going to see the volume, especially in PPR leagues, to get that. He seems to be occupying a little bit more space, or how he connects with Taylor. Heineke to get more targets and you just need those kind of in-between targets to really have productive fantasy weeks. You can't just be the downfield guy. Curtis Samuel 2019 was the Panthers downfield uh, guy. And I maintain that he would have had 1600 receiving yards if Kyle Allen was worth a single damn. I have people don't forget Kevin. People do not forget uh, last final point here on Antonio Gibson. Again, last week was supposed to be the time where we can go back to him. JD McKissick was sidelined with a neck injury. Not sure if that's going to be better. And they just went back to Brian Robinson. So look, in terms of their ability as a rusher, I, I get it. Robinson, you call a play in the A-gap. He's going to go get you. You need three yards, you know, Brian Robinson will get you three yards. You need five yards, Brian Robinson going to get you three yards. He's that type of player. And I know Antonio Gibson may be bouncing a little more. He's a converted wide receiver. So I can I can wrap my mind around that in the run game. But don't talk to me about fumbles. Knocking on wood, Gibson hasn't fumbled yet this season after a horrific, you know, 2021 campaign. Pass blocking. Robinson, one pressure allowed in 10 pass blocking snaps. Uh, Gibson actually only one in 25. The big part that I just cannot wrap my mind around, Kevin, is the pass game usage. Again, no McKissick. Yeah, Gibson only had an 18 to 11 lead in routes, and the targets were just three to two. I mean, I can bring up the stats. They are not even close. Freaking uh, Robinson this year has, I believe, seven receiving yards on four targets. Meanwhile, Gibson's been out there with a lot of metrics that say he's the second or third best receiving back in the NFL. So for now, I'm going to try to give Gibson the benefit of the doubt as a low-end RB2 this week because I think the game script, especially 11-point dogs, you know, I think they're going to be forced to put Gibson on the field more in the passing downs. But it, it, it just, to your point, it seems like this was a decision that was made in August. And, yeah, it would make sense if Brian Robinson coming back from the gunshot wound isn't at 100%. I'm not trying to be this heartless asshole here, but I just don't know what we've seen on the field in freaking October, in November, I've seen no signs to indicate Gibson is not the best running back out there, especially in the pass game. Moving on to the NFC North, first place, 7-1 Minnesota Vikings. Uh, they are potentially going to face their fourth backup quarterback of the season in Buffalo Bills, still seeming to get the benefit of the doubt with Josh Allen there, sitting as five-and-a-half-point favorites, game total at 45-and-a-half. But I'll say this, Kevin, it's – do you want to call us like the most fluky seven and one team we've seen? I don't think the most, you know, we had the Steelers having that nice undefeated stretch, you know, in 2020 before they got knocked off, but you just look at it this year. And when I see Kirk cousins, literally since joining the Vikings, his worst PFF passing grade, worst passer rating, worst yards per attempt average, on the one hand, you can look at this offense. You can say they haven't even really fully meshed. They maybe haven't hit their ceiling yet. On the other hand, this doesn't seem like a team necessarily that should be seven to one. And they have gotten a lot of favors in terms of their competition so far. So overall thoughts on the Vikings being seven to one. And like, do you even consider them close to a team like say the Philadelphia Eagles, who is also uh, resting at the top of the NFC? No, I don't consider them to be close. I don't even think they're, better than they were last year, mostly because of what you're mentioning, the fact that the passing game is not nearly as good. You kind of stole some of my thunder here because this is uh -huh. what I was writing down here. You know, it went from 
yards per attempt, 7.5, 6.6 this year. You know, the touchdown rate went from being five, anywhere from five to anywhere from like six to 7% down to 4.3% this year. Uh, What he's been a little bit better in is keeping the downside out as far as sacks are concerned. His interceptions, he only has two interceptions. I mean, he only has a 2% interception rate this year, so it's not that bad but not really great versus prior years also it's just they're winning games that they would normally lose in the past and vice versa and as you mentioned hinting at the backup quarterback they haven't had the toughest schedule and they've had a pretty decent run as far as that's concerned uh with the Packers going away um this is a team that's almost 100 chance now to make the playoffs which is pretty wild when you think about it has some chance of getting the number one seed uh in the NFC which is extremely wild so they should just be happy where they're at and, you know, they bring in Hawkinson, they bring in others. Hopefully they can get some things fixed up. But not looking like a threatening team, but you never know what can happen in the playoffs. This year, Cousins yet to throw for 300 yards or have three passing touchdowns in a game. And I remember, like, last couple of years, man, that was one of those stats where, especially, you know, in DraftKings, we know we get certain bonuses for getting past, you know, certain uh, yardage thresholds. So I'm not – I think 303 touchdowns, it's a fairly – uh, you know, arbitrary threshold to have out there. But that said, you know, they are kind of big numbers in certain forms of fantasy. And just the fact we haven't gotten that with a fully healthy Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne being fine. They bring in Hawkinson, Justin Jefferson, you know, first touchdown since week one uh, last week. Has been surprising not to see a bit more fireworks. Maybe they can come, but I don't think in the next month they necessarily will be again. In Buffalo this week, after that, they get the Cowboys, they get the Patriots, they get the Jets, and then they're at the Lions. Luckily for the Vikings, like God forbid, even if they lose you know, five straight games to them and this starts to become more of a question, they get to finish the season with the Colts, Giants, Packers, and Bears in their last four games. So I know uh, Cousins hasn't exactly had the easiest time against the uh, Bears over the years, but you could imagine that's a game that they will uh, minimum be favored in. Final points here. Uh, this is the time every three weeks. I got to remind everyone that Adam Thielen hasn't gone three weeks without a receiving touchdown since 2018. It's time. Death taxes. Adam Thielen scores a touchdown at least every three weeks. So feel good about that. Just locked in. Absolutely perfectly correlated statistic. Also TJ Hawkinson. We got that uh, note last week that he was going to be a big part of the game plan. I scoffed. I jinxed it. I look stupid. Ended up with a 91% snap rate. And with that said, man, he's right back into the week's top five, top six options. Look good out there. Second place, Green Bay Packers sitting at three and six. And we just talked about Kirk Cousins being the worst version of himself with the Vikings. This has been the worst version of Aaron Rodgers ever. 6.6 yards per attempt, passer rating, QBR, all career low marks. And last week really was the first time that we saw that come hand in hand with mistakes. I mean, three interceptions thrown inside the five-yard line or into the end zone. He only had four of those combined in the last five years of action. So similar to Kirk Cousins, zero games with 300 plus passing yards. I will say, I think I brought this up for Daniel Jones. I mean, what, if you would have called the Packers pass catching crew, like the worst in the league before week one, I don't think you would have had too many people calling you crazy. Let's go ahead and be nice and call him a bottom 10 unit. Al Lazar's had a shoulder injury. Romeo Dobbs now going to miss an extended stretch with that high ankle injury. Randall Cobb has been on IR with an ankle. Sammy Watkins spent a lot of time on the IR with a hamstring. Every time it looks like Christian Watson's about to be back, he suffers a hamstring or concussion. So it's one of those situations, man, where should we be surprised that Rodgers has been this bad? Because I think we all just looked at it before the year and said, it's Rodgers, he'll figure it out. But when you take, again, objectively, one of the worst pass catcher groups in the league, and then you start playing their backups, how could this passing game be any good? 
Yeah, yeah, I think there's that. There's also some history when you look back to, you know, 2015-ish through 2019. Rodgers had some down seasons. Um, but the last two years, what was maybe masking some of the potential for this to happen is, you know, he had over an 8% touchdown rate, if you take it combined over the last two seasons, down to 4.4%. But it's not, again, this has happened before. 2019, it was 4.6%. 2018, it was 4.2%. He's had these stretches before, so we're seeing it again. Not totally a surprise, but it's just a little bit of a shock or a lot of a shock coming off of what we saw in back-to-back MVP seasons. It's just rough out there. Because, you know, Romeo Dobbs is out now, high ankle sprain. Sammy Watkins is still looking like Sammy Watkins. Uh, You know, the ghost of Sammy Watkins may be out there. And Christian Christian Watson, can he do something? I don't know. He's concussed again, man. He's concussed, I think. Oh, he is? He's out? Oh, man. Because he was starting to at least get snapped. He's getting some snaps. But I think he only – yeah, he only had 12 snaps last week. So maybe that also plays into the concussion that happened there. Yeah, I don't know. It's just dark times. They're pretty much done. I mean, the Packers are done for the rest of the – for this season. So I don't know a team like the Packers being completely out of it. I don't know how things work going forward because it could be meltdown type of situation when you look at Rodgers and all they pay him the money, the media, everything else is going to happen there. It's going to get ugly. And all these guys, it seems like the injuries just couldn't have been worse timing. Again, Watson, like, I know he hasn't had any big games this year, but you do watch him in the few times he's had the ball. Like, the dude can fly. Like, there's a reason why he was a top 35 pick out there. And, no, I don't think he was ever brought in to replace Devontae Adams. But fully healthy, I think he could have done a decent enough MVS impression. Sammy Watkins, since coming back from the IR, Look, I'm not saying week one and week two walk-ins was a game changer out there, but, you know, it looks like 10% of that guy. Randall Cobb was his team's, like, leading receiver, and then he gets put on IR. Even Romeo Dobbs, he has the great game against the Bills, catches the first pass of last week, and then has to go hobble right off the field. So, luckily, just got this note, Aaron Jones is practicing to open up the week with the ankle injury, which reflects the Adam Schefter report, saying that it's not considered a major issue, and he is expected to play this week. So, feel good about Jones as, you know, a high-end RB2. I'd say you can put him in the top 12 if you feel like it at home against the Cowboys with the Cowboys as five point favorites game total of just 42 and a half. Otherwise, it's only Alan Lazard we can trust in this offense. But credit to Alan Lazard. I mean, this season he's actually played now, let's see, three, six, seven games. And he scored a touchdown or gone over 100 yards in every game only excluding uh, the one performance where he hurt his shoulder about halfway through. So Alan Lazard, man, without any of these guys here, I know we questioned a lot in the offseason. Former co-host Dwayne McFarland, you know, had a lot of things to say about Lazard. And I don't think his process was wrong by any stretch of the imagination. It was like, how is this guy that has never really demanded a bunch of targets all of a sudden going to start demanding a bunch of targets? But hey, when you take out literally all the new incoming target competition that we thought might cause a problem with that, there really isn't anyone else to get the targets there from Alan Lazard. So, Kevin, this week, man, I have him wide receiver 19 ahead of guys like DJ Moore, Terry McLaurin, Josh Palmer, Jerry Judy. Am I crazy for drinking the Lazard Kool-Aid? The guy's been good this year. No, I think it's fine. I think there's potential that there are going to be some touchdowns, and if there are some touchdowns, you're going to hope you're going to get that from Alan Lazard. It's just the, the problem is really the upside in this offense. Maybe you could get a spot week or two, and I think, again, you at least have that possibility that he could eat up a lot of targets. I mean, he's been over 20% target rate multiple weeks so far this season, so you add another 3 4 5 6% to that, and it at least gives you the potential for a really big outcome if everything goes right. And that's all you can ask for from anyone in this wide receiver core. 
three and six Chicago Bears sitting in third place. And like, this is kind of best case for them. They've won one of their last five games. You know, they've stripped the defense. This is not a team that wants to compete this year. And I think that's a fair enough, you know, long-term rebuilding plan. I know they had some of the contracts that, you know, this was never a year that they had any inclination to try to win. And my big issue with that, which I've, you know, said many a time was you have your top 10 quarterback, you trade or 11th, whatever the hell feels got drafted at. Like you should be now that you have that guy trying to surround him with talent to find out if he's going to be your long-term player at the position. And the first four weeks, it looked like that was just going to be impossible to even have a good read on Justin Fields. But man, oh man, how quickly some things can change. Fantasy finishes, sure. But guess what fantasy points come from? The same sort of counting stats that real football analysts will bring up as well. And over these past five weeks, QB 12, QB 9, QB 5, QB 5, and QB 1 with the most regular season rushing yards in a game from a quarterback in NFL history. So, look, Kevin, the sacks are there. I mean, last four weeks, he's taken two, four, four, five sacks. I'm not going to say that, you know, he's still – He's still a work in progress throwing the football, obviously. That said, we've talked about the pass catcher problems that have plagued this offense all season long. Like Chase freaking Claypool is being viewed as a savior in this wide receiver room at this point. Like that's kind of the point we've reached here. I think we can say, though, in this past five, six weeks of action, Justin Fields has had stretches where he looks like the best player on the field. And that's got to be worth something, man. Have you seen enough from Fields to convince yourself that you think he should be the guy that the Bears build around moving forward? Eh, I'm a little bit more dubious on that than I am convinced that he's going to be a solid, like, at worst, top, I was going to say top 10, but that doesn't even sound very bold, top eight-ish sort of option to top five sort of option in fantasy going forward. The the thing about him being the long-term guy for the Bears is it's a little bit masked the fact that his passing has not been that great and what's masked that a bit is obviously the huge huge rushing production and what's also masked that a little bit is the fact that he has five passing touchdowns over the last two weeks Um, but yet if you look at his efficiency on a down by down basis when he's been passing the ball 4.4 yards per attempt last week uh 6.6 the year before which is okay so he's getting that touchdown efficiency the highlight reel is piling up and then he has the rushing to go along with it so i guess i want to see a little bit better you know 4.4 yards per attempt you're not always going to be able to rush for 100 and something yards and that sort of outcome so i want to see a little bit more consistency throwing the ball you think he makes great throws which makes for great highlights but on a play-in play-out basis he's still not that consistent He was someone last year where I think, you know, when you bring up the idea that big time throws can be a little more of a style than a sign that this guy is incredible. Fields does play with that style sometimes. And whether that's actually, you know, the best thing for a passing game is another conversation. But I was going to come back and say that, yes, we do need to pump the brakes a little bit. Still hasn't hit 210 passing yards in a game. And I think a lot of the same points I was bringing up about Daniel Jones could also apply to Justin Fields. But as a noted Ohio State homer, I'm going to try to give my guy the benefit of the doubt, at least before Kevin rightfully checks my ass just a little bit this week they're home against the lions chicago three-point favorites game total 48 and a half but to kevin's point i mean fantasy i don't know what more we need to see justin is going ahead and be my overall qb4 on the week only behind mahomes hurts and allen as long as he is running this much it's just really hard to rank him any lower especially in a good matchup like this 
position high, 9.4 fantasy points per game from purely rushing. I know it'd be nice, and we're probably not getting quite as many passing touchdowns moving forward, but the man has earned legit top six quarterback consideration in fantasy. Only other note is that Claypool last week, man, just 26 snaps, but had six targets and a rush attempt. I mean, those six targets, that's a mark that Mooney has only surpassed twice this season. I'm less confident in Cole Komet keeping on, keeping on. I mean, that was his first game all year last week with even more, more than four targets. So He's kind of had the full-time role all year. That hasn't been the problem. The problem has been the overall upside of this Bears passing game and the volume available, which we just discussed. Not necessarily something that's going to keep on keeping on as well as we would hope. Claypool or Mooney, though, for the rest of the season, Kevin? Or is the answer just no, which is reasonable? Uh, I mean, it's probably no. <laughs> that's all I can really say. Okay. I, can't, I can't imagine any consistent sort of production for, for either of them. Very fair. It does seem like Claypool, you know, ND grad, good locker room guy, good presence to have over there in Chicago, uh, Kevin. Funny how quickly that can change from one fan base to the next. Last place, your two and six, Detroit Lions. Hey, started to restore the roar a little bit last week. Got that dub over the Packers this week there in Chicago, as we just mentioned. Three-point dogs, but a lofty game total of 48 and a half. So, this offense was number one in points per game after the first four weeks. Since then, they have scored zero, six, 27 against the Dolphins, and then 15 points. I'm not going to necessarily blame Goff. I think he's a sum of its parts quarterback usually. And guess what? A lot of those parts have been injured. I mean, even Josh Reynolds out of the picture. We have Amon Ross St. Brown doing his thing out of the slot. We're continuing to go back to him as a legit wide receiver one. I mean, last week, first time in 10 non-injured games where he didn't catch at least six passes, still had nine targets out there. So, we got the sun god, and that's great. But with this offense, Kevin, the problem is Jamal Williams is someone where we've seen him really flirt with upper-end outcomes because of how high-scoring this Lions offense can be. Now, we've kind of seen, again, the tale of two halves, where they were literally number one in these last four weeks, much more of a below-average group. Do you see Goff and company finding any sort of that you know magic they had in September moving forward, or is this just going to be a bad offense more weeks than not? Uh, no, I think they have the potential to to still put up some of those weeks because of the offensive line, the pass catchers. You mentioned that at least the peripherals were really good for uh, Amon Ross, St. Brown, and the fact that he was able to get gather so many targets there. I think what was surprising, at least last week, is that you know the defense came to play. So yeah, maybe if the defense can actually start holding down any opponents, if that's a possibility, you know, nine points versus never giving up fewer than 24 points in a previous week. Probably not going to happen a whole lot, though. Maybe this Bears game, they can do it. The Giants, not the greatest offense then. But then we're going to have the Bills, the Jags, the Vikings. And then eventually later on, you know, the Packers and others will come later. So not the greatest offensive slate, but there's going to be high end offensive outcomes on the other side, which is going to necessitate some more passing and pushing the ball offensively for them. And on a random week, I still think they can put up some pretty big outcomes with this offense. Kevin mentioned that offensive line. Uh, shout out PFF Sam Monson with, with his weekly article ranking all the NFL's offensive lines. Lions do come in at ninth this week. Final note here is the backfield. So last week going into the game, Dan Campbell basically said, we're going to get Swift out there, see how he does and go from there. He had five touches for 50 yards. Craig Reynolds got hurt. He's now on IR. Like that was supposed to be the main pass down guy ahead of Swift to potentially cause problems. They did not care. Still only played him. I believe it was like 16 snaps. And we actually saw uh, Justin Jackson, formerly of the Chargers, continue to come out there and play ahead of Swift. So the comments this week from Dan Campbell, 
We'll see what he looks like Wednesday and Thursday. And if he feels a little bit better than he did last week, then yeah, he's going to get more of a load. I think it's looking pretty encouraging. But I don't know, Kevin, because coming out of the bye, he practiced in full all week. He didn't have an injury designation. And then we find out, oh, yeah, we plan to limit him this entire time. So for me, I still think Jamal Williams is a fine enough touchdown dependent RB2. Because even in the first two games of the year when Swift, you know, seemingly wasn't all that limited. I guess it might have only been week one there. But Jamal was still someone that I think they want to get 15 to 20 carries per week, regardless of Swift's status. So for me, that's enough for top 20 treatment, especially against a Bears defense that already bad against a run and then they just stripped themselves of even their best resources in Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn so I'm feeling good about Williams but with Swift man like I need to I'm okay being a week late on this is I think my point here so I have Swift ranked RB 35 behind pretty much everyone that I think just has a good enough chance of getting 10 plus touches are you feeling more confident that we can go back to Swift well before actually seeing it on the field I mean, I'm feeling a little bit more confident if only because, you know, we have some bye weeks this week. Maybe your team happens to have another guy that you could throw in there. But are you really going to feel good about throwing someone else in there if you potentially miss the upside of a big Swift game? You mentioned that he was effective when he played. So I don't know. Maybe it's just like regret avoidance on my part here. But I could see... Playing Swift versus playing another option who you may have ranked in the 30-ish short sort of range. Uh, yeah, you might feel bad if he ends up only getting uh, you know, a handful of touches, something like that. But you're going to feel really bad if you flip it around and then Swift ends up being all systems go, which may not happen. You know, it's, it's not a high probability happening, but it's hard when you have a guy who could potentially win a week for you not to start him when he's healthy. Before we move on to the NFC South, we want to give a quick shout out to some of our lovely sponsors out there. You can make every play feel exciting this season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. And check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. And to make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets. If your team wins, just place a $5 bet on any football game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using code PFF. Also, I'll give a shout out to our lovely every single episode sponsor, the fine folks over at Sleeper. I always talk about we have the PFF Fantasy League. It's fun when I'm with Nathan because both of us are like a middling 500 squad. I think Kevin's taken over the whole damn league at this point because whoever freaking set it up didn't use fab in the year 2022 but you know what that's a story no excuses no excuses no excuses play like a champion as we all learned from the oscar winning film wedding crashers back in the day but our number one bounce back player of the week my number one bounce back player of the week is going to take us right into the nfc south first place four and five buccaneers tom mother effing brady the arm's fine Kevin, I don't know if it's, you know, the facial surgery, the PEDs, just being pissed about the divorce. Alleged facial surgery and PEDs. <laughs> Come on. You've seen the headshots year after year after year. Come yeah, I don't on. Know. I don't know. Alleged. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that, but man, the arm is there. This is not 2015 Peyton. This is not 2020 Breeze. I mean, he's tied for second in the NFL with 20 big-time throws this season. To be fair, only Trevor Lawrence has had more total passes dropped. And just, again, specifically, the Evans bomb against the Panthers. Scotty Miller letting a potential game-winning touchdown, you know, hit his freaking face mask and then falling off. 
off. I get it. It has not been, you know, a good season for Brady. Only one game with multiple touchdown passes, and we're in week 10. It's absolute madness, and continuing to go back to the well is scary, but the volume is there. I don't think that performance has to- – his ability to perform has fallen off. We see it each and every week. It seems to be more of a timing issue with him and these new weapons, and he's running out of time to get that fixed. I get it. But here we are, Kevin. This Buccaneers team, arguably, like – the I I probably wouldn't have even said this was like their floor of how bad they could play considering Goblin has been healthy since week four. Mike Evans has been fine and the running backs have been there and yet they're in first place at four and five. So I don't think it's like a Packers situation where you could see them bottoming out because they're competitive, even despite their best efforts to not be competitive in this absolute atrocious NFC South. So are we finally going to see Tom Brady in this passing game get back on track against the Seahawks defense that, to be fair, I mean, really was not looking good the first four or five weeks of the year, but you start adding it up and they haven't allowed more than 210 passing yards uh, in all but just three games this season. So thoughts on Brady and the potential for this passing game to bounce back in Germany. I mean, there's potential. Um, This might be a situation, though, where I'm – still in wait and see mode a little bit for this passing offense. It's just some weird stuff going on here. I mean, I know Brady, they came back, they won the game last week, 4.8 yards per attempt though, for, for Brady in this one before that a lot of difficulty moving the ball. And I think Mike Evans has been Mike Evans. Everything is pretty normal there. Julio Jones, unreliable sort of option there. The real problem is recently at least is Chris Godwin, 3.6, a dot two weeks ago, 3.7 last week. Again, not going to be efficient, not going to be an explosive type of player with that type of usage and with that type of efficiency passing. Then you get Chris Godwin fixed. Maybe he's not fully healthy and that's part of the problem. And that is something to hopefully look forward to for this offense. But I'm going to want to see, you know, a, a week or two of some offensive production that I can believe in before I'm starting to get on board with them turning it around. But that said, you know, I've, I still maintain what I've said for the last couple of weeks that I felt better about them than I did the Packers or the Rams going forward. It's I, I can't believe Goblin hasn't put up better numbers with this usage, man, since week four. Because remember, he comes back, he plays week one, he immediately hurts his hamstring. But he's been a full-time player since week four. Targets since week four, a little bit of bye week, you know, fuckery going on here. But forgive me on a few targets. Number one in the NFL is Tyreek Hill with 70 targets. Number two is Chris Goblin with 57 targets. Number three is Mike Evans with 56 targets. Like, the big concern for these guys was, you know, paying Russell Gage 30 plus million, bringing in a uh, Julio Jones, maybe getting Gronk coming back out of retirement or whatever. And to see none of those things happen and for Godwin still not to be able to put up, you know, the numbers we would expect from a player with his track record, awfully disappointing. But it does seem like maybe just maybe, Kevin, they can get it figured out before the end of the year or we're just going to keep watching depressing offense performances left and right. So I have dropped Godwin quite a bit in the ranks, you know, reflecting what you were saying about we do got to be a bit in the wait and see mode with him for now Mike Evans is really the only sure thing in this offense and I do include Leonard Fournette in that at this point I mean he was quote-unquote extremely frustrated with his playing time on Sunday per CBS Sports and the Athletics Greg Allman came on this podcast once I mean Greg does awesome stuff you know covering the Buccaneers he did have a column talking about his five second half predictions and he did say 
I guess uh, you could argue, Kevin, not the strongest wording here, but he said the momentum will likely be with Rashad White by the end of the season. So I know so he's clearly not clearly the momentum will likely be. Yeah, maybe probably with Rashad White <laughs> by the end of the year. So my thing here, and we talked about this with Jalen Warren and Najee Harris in the other episode. It's tougher for me to be on the yeah, bench, Lenny. Rashad White's so good. What are you doing, at Tampa Bay? It's tough for me to be on that when if you do the player A versus player B blind resume comparison. Yeah, you're going to have no idea which guy we're even talking about. They've both been really freaking bad this year. The PFF receiving grades, yeah, White's better. 71.6 versus 71.5. The yards per route run, 1.23 versus 1.22. And as rushers, I mean, Fournette's actually been better this year. Again, both terrible. Fournette's at 3.4 yards per carry. Rashad White's at 3.1. I do agree with the general idea at the eye test. White looks more explosive, but... I don't think it's a given, man, that if Fournette does get unseated, that we're necessarily going to see White get that 80-90% snap roll that we thought was on the table. Keyshawn Vaughn was out there last week getting a couple of touches. I believe Giovanni Bernard is still a person that exists, you know, in this, you know, version of the simulation. Uh, we're does his mustache still exist? That's all, that's all we care about. That's a good question. But are you buying – I guess the two questions are, one – Are you buying into the potential Rashad White takeover that is starting to gain steam, whether we know we should believe it or not? And two, like, would it even be something that we're all of a sudden forcing White into lineups? Because, again, he hasn't been very good, and this offense hasn't been very good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really buying it. I just don't think it's going to really matter necessarily unless the whole offense gets turned around and and hypercharged and they can learn how to do some run blocking as they've been – maybe the most inefficient, at least versus expectations, uh, running team in the NFL. So a lot of things need to get fixed. You not only need the takeover, which, again, a takeover might be like 52% to 48% type of snaps, but you need these other things to happen too. So I'm not super high on it, but of course he's someone you want to have rostered just in case because it is possible the offense gets turned around, and then if you have the passing game work, and then if maybe Lenny gets a hammy, you, you could be in business. That pass down work is a big alert here. Buccaneers running backs fourth in targets on the year and tied for third in receptions among all offenses. So I thought they're in it. I don't think it's a coincidence that Chiefs game where they just said, like, we're not running. We got to keep up with Mahomes. And no, they, they lost. And I get that they were trailing by quite a bit for that game. That's the only time that we've seen Brady, you know, clear 300, throw for three touchdowns. Like at this point in time, I just don't know what like a running up the middle isn't just have Brady check the ball down. If it's there, man, the more times you're taking the ball out of his hands just seems like a consistent loss. Byron, Byron Leftwich noted yeah. uh, expected points added skeptic. <laughs> he was, he was hating on play action, right? He's like, Nope, it's not going to work if you can't run the ball. He said, you got to run it. You got to establish or the amount of times you have to run it beforehand. And of course, like every nerd on Twitter, like crunched all the numbers and just showing it doesn't matter how many times you run it before play action for it to have any effectiveness. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's in the crosshairs for all nerd um, on, uh, on social media. Second place, Atlanta Falcons sitting at four and five still this week. Potentially rainy Thursday night matchup in Carolina. Falcons favored by three. Game total at 44. So I am not a weatherman. I did see someone say it's going to be like 20, 30 mile per hour winds. And then Google disagreed with that assessment. So I usually go to my guy, Kevin Roth, over at Roto Grinders as I'm pulling this up. He gives nice little code 
yellow, orange, red, any DFS baseball players out there, you're certainly well aware of the process. So looking at what he's saying, I mean, it is a 56% chance of precipitation, but the wind speeds, at least per Kevin and Google, are still only at 10 miles per hour. So yes, if we see the 20, 30 mile per hour winds, I see people, you know, quote tweeting on Twitter saying that's going to happen. That's a problem. But historically rain without winds that are pushing the 15 usually 20 mile per hour is the mark that we really start getting concerned not that big of a deal i think the bigger issue is obviously what's going on with this passing game and kevin we spent a lot of time here i at least have tried to spend some time here defending arthur smith because as much as we can hate on some of his personnel decisions his job score points efficiently with yards and he's done that for most of the year and still we're here entering week 10 this is the ninth ranked scoring offense in the nfl that said we nine really worst version i think of Mariota that we've seen you know season low 5.6 yards per attempt and the fact that kyle pitts has 202 air yards prayer yards whatever you call him he couldn't even get a hand on these balls this is a guy that was lauded objectively true longest wingspan of any wide receiver or tight end to enter the nfl in 20 years so i'm assuming in the previous 50 years before that kyle pitts was near the near top of the leaderboard so literally one of the biggest targets in the nfl history can't even get a finger on half of these Mariota passes I'm just upset Kevin I don't really have a question like is there any hope for Pitts or Drake London here moving forward because I've tried to defend the guys but I don't think Mariota in this passing game are getting better anytime soon and at that point it's like do we can we really expect Desmond Ritter to be much of an upgrade yeah, I mean, there's 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 not hope for any sort of consistent performance. Maybe a particular week you could get something out of him. I've been really disappointed by London, quite honestly, for the fact that I thought that there was more hope with him getting consistently targeted, at least at the earlier in the season, and what he could do going forward. Yeah, Ma- Mariota had his issues with um, with his accuracy. 23 pass attempts and then only 5.6 yards per attempt. Uh, you know, do the math there. You're not a lot of yards there. <laughs> At least he was over nine yards per attempt the previous weeks, although some of them with barely any actual pass attempts there. You mentioned the weather. Yeah, if this ends up happening, like does Arthur Smith need any excuse just <laughs> to just never pass the ball? And then we'll see the beauty of a potential four-man committee uh, in the backfield. It's just going to be great, great stuff. Thursday night, Amazon, Bezos is like asking for a refund, I think, after this game, if there are 20, 30-mile-an-hour wins. Right now, I have Kyle. He, it's the most annoying thing in my life is ranking Kyle Pitts on a week-to-week basis. You know, you can talk about family, life problems. No, it's ranking Kyle Pitts is the single toughest part of my week. I have him tight end at six. If it comes down, if we see Thursday night that, okay, winds are pushing 20 miles per hour, it's a rainstorm. It looks terrible out there. He's going to be down the borderline tight end one territory. So if the conditions are okay, I'm going to stick with tight end six. If not, I would start guys like Gerald Everett, Dalton Schultz, Pat Fryermuth, Najoku, if he's healthy, even maybe Taysom Hill ahead of Pitts. Should we be doing that anyway, Kevin? Am I still just, you know, holding out too much hope? We have seen the flashes. And again, I know they were empty air yards, but – that's a really fantasy-friendly workload. And to be fair, they've been throwing the ball more to Kyle Pitts lately. No, no, I don't think it's wrong. But again, you know, we're talking about tight ends. So yeah. 6, 8, 10, 12, <laughs> whatever. You know, <laughs> outside of the first couple of guys, it doesn't make a huge difference. I still think you mentioned all the air yards that he had. He has actually had goal line, end zone targets over the season. So yeah, you probably gotta you probably gotta just start him if you got him, and then you're like, oh, you know, if he does something, you're like, oh, that's great, he actually did something this week. Other than that, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it too much. 
I take it we're not buying low on Drake London. I mean, I feel like he's going to no, just be cut I don't soon. think he can. Yeah. I don't think he can. I mean, there's just not the volume. There's just not the volume of that passing game, unfortunately, to do that. Again, tight end, Kyle Pitts, you could probably still play him. Find a wide receiver who actually gets some targets. Now, this is a tough one for me to bring up. Noted longtime president of the Cordero Patterson fan club. My guy had two touchdowns last week. Actually had a third that got wiped off the board with tripping and holding penalties. He killed the dude. Killed he a man. killed the guy. Yeah, people haven't been talking about that. She probably lay low. <laughs> probably lay low for a little while, you know. Uh, might be yeah. wanted for murder out there. But with CPAT, man, the problem is he's not catching the ball because no one's catching the ball in this offense. And he's been really touchdown dependent. So looking at it this year, I mean, he's actually one of only a handful of running backs with three top eight fantasy finishes, even though he's only played five games out there. But I just think he's been running about as hot as you could expect. And let's face it. He looked healthy out there. Again, you know, Kevin brought it up. Absolutely eviscerated. Truck stick the guy at the goal line to go get his second score. I still think CPAC can make the most out of 15 carries a game, but I'm not convinced he's going to be getting this massive workload. Tyler Algier quietly had like 110 total yards last week. Looked pretty good in his own right. So, Again, I think CPAT's still going to give you some Jamal Williams-like weeks, but I think he's basically a Jamal Williams type in an offense that I'm I would say it's probably pretty similar to Detroit where, okay, they put up some points this year. I'm not exactly, you know, convinced they're going to keep on keeping on with it. So I think Patterson is still someone I have him ranked RB 16. I think he'll be in the RB two conversation more weeks than not moving forward. But if people really are drinking the Kool-Aid that this could be the consistent RB one that let's face it, he really has been this year when healthy. That is where I would be really considering selling high on Cordero Patterson. Are you with me, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I think we talked last week. The concern was going to be that those other guys came in, Huntley and Algier, and they looked good enough that they had earned themselves some sort of look. And then you have a three-man committee, and no matter how thin the you know RB3 workload may be, it's enough to take away from the RB1 and make things difficult. What's interesting is I was doing my, my showdown uh, work for the single game contest and Patterson actually has the highest salary of anyone for this contest. So if you're, if a guy you're ranking RB 16 for the week is the highest salary in a showdown contest, it's not going to be pretty from a fantasy football angle. Not great. We will get to the Panthers in just a second. But yeah, I mean, the other problem too, it's not like it's just CPAT and Algier. You brought up Caleb Huntley and God forbid, you know, we don't get Avery Williams on the field for uh, three snaps as well, Kevin. So unironically using a four back committee at the moment, not great. Bob, third place Saints three and six at Pittsburgh this week. Saints are favored by two and a half points game total at 40 and a half. So I tweet it every time Dalton plays bad because I just enjoy the Jameis experience free Jameis out there. But seriously, Kevin, if Dalton's going to be out there taking four sacks, throwing three picks a couple of weeks ago, like he misses the layup touchdown to Marquez Callaway before halftime. I think we've seen Dalton's ceiling in this offense. And the ceiling is fine, but the floor is also pretty low for a guy that's allegedly in there to, you know, be more of this ball control quarterback taking care of things. So am I being too harsh on Dalton? Like, I, look, he's had Michael Thomas out, Jarvis Landry out, and, you know, we give other quarterbacks benefit of the doubts there. So I do think he still exceeded expectations overall, but it does seem weird to me how cut and dry the Dalton Jameis uh, quarterback kind of controversy was and how quickly it did go to Dalton out there because Jameis, you know, for all of his faults, does still have that ability to force defenses to cover each and every square inch of the field, and I just don't quite see that with Andy Dalton. So just overall thoughts on the Saints passing game, and is there even a quarterback on this roster capable of taking them to a higher level? Level. Maybe that's the big issue. Yeah, probably not. I mean, what happened to Dalton against the Ravens is 
Um, he was under pressure a decent amount and fast. I mean, he had another interception. It was a tipped ball, and they just weren't able to convert third down. So was that poor luck? Was that Andy Dalton not being good? Was that the pressure that was being provided? Maybe. Uh, I just don't know if we're going to get that much better for Jameis. And we talked about how he just gives temporary insanity to <laughs> coaches, and it seemed like the defensive-minded uh, head coach there – he basically said that Andy Dalton, he kind of gave him a pass for for what's happened both of the last couple of weeks. So I think he's probably just lodged in there and he's just more comfortable saying a known quantity for maybe what you're going to get is worth it for him. Uh, let's get the running game going. Let's get the defense going. And then you can end up winning some ball games. Wow. All right. Breaking news, Kevin. Uh-oh. Russell Wilson on not wearing a wristband in Seattle. <laughs> that was going to be my breaking news. All right, go ahead. Quote, <laughs> Won a lot of games without one on the wrist. But see, you're missing the first breaking news, which causes that breaking news. Okay. Do you want to know the first breaking yes, news? Yes, of course. Okay. So the first breaking news is Pete Carroll praised Geno Smith for wearing a wristband to help streamline the Seahawks play calling process. Carroll said the Seahawks didn't have a quarterback calling plays off a wristband in past years because, quote unquote, there was resistance. What? He refused to wear a wristband? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Can they go like, okay, uh, how about, can we get Pete Carroll don't make a dig at Russell Wilson challenge? Can we last longer than like 15 minutes without having some sort of, what the, like, this guy's a Hall of Famer and won you a Super Bowl and every every week they're, they, they, they're saying something about him. This is turning in like the offseason Jim Irsay and the Colts, like just shitting on Carson Wentz, like, you know, getting asked like a question about like your running back room. It's like, hold on, let's go back to the problems that Wentz brought into the fold. Uh, last so he's season. just responding. He's responding now to Pete Carroll, I believe, with this statement first. Doesn't it make sense that Pete Carroll would have made the statement first? And then Russell Wilson is now now wristband gate is coming into is coming into play here. So does he not wear – I guess he doesn't. I'm looking up Google Images, Russell Wilson on the Broncos, and it doesn't look like he is wearing a wristband with the well, that's Broncos because either. He only sleeps 45 minutes a night, and he's up studying the playbook and memorizing what would be on the wristband for the days uh, coming into the week and is what I can assume. The amount of just messed up storylines with Russell Wilson over the years. We had the miracle concussion healing water. Now we got the high knees on the plane, the 20 hour rehab from the thumb, thumb like as if you needed any more evidence. We are living in a simulation. This oh, is wait, just... wait, wait, we got some. Okay, okay. I got a couple. Of, oh, this is our guy. This is Zach Stevens, DNVR. This is oh. our guy from, from the high knees guy. He's got two. Two uh, bangers here for tweets back-to-back. Friend friend of the podcast. Friend of the pod, right. Two bangers back-to-back. Number one, Russell Wilson said the Broncos' offense needs to score more touchdowns in the second half of the season. Oh, big if true. Big if true. That's a huge one. And then then second, he follows that up. Russell Wilson, colon, and then we have a quote here, a direct quote for Russell Wilson. You've got to have a playoff mentality now. That's good. Zach change. Stevens. Zach Stevens. This guy knows how to go viral. Oh my goodness. All right. All Russell Wilson madness aside. Sorry, everyone, but hey, you know, some things you just gotta you gotta get to. And uh I like the Russell cameras. Wilson content experience here. Like, you know, people are like say they're sick of them, but I, I love it. I want more. More Russ. Give us more.
football more fun with Russell Wilson having a starting job. 100% agree there. So yeah, with the Saints, I mean, look, it's it's pretty cut and dry otherwise. Alvin Kamara actually last week getting a true workhorse role with Mark Ingram's sideline. I know the production wasn't there. He somehow didn't hit that four and a half reception prop that, you know, they continue to just leave right out there, but I wouldn't expect that to happen too many more times moving forward. Continue to treat him as a top five running back, even if TJ Watt is back this week. I mean, we've seen the Steelers, Fournette, Damian Harris, Mostert, Mixon, Chubb, all have posted top 10 finishes against his defense this year. And also Chris Olave, man, just keeps on keeping on another top 24 finish last week. He has now posted wide receiver two production in five of his last six games, 2.38 yards per route run. Fourth highest mark among any rookie wide receiver since 2015, trailing only Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, AJB. Kevin, what about Chris Olave's broken tackle stats at Ohio State? Like, can we just officially file that as one of the dumbest storylines we had this entire draft season? I don't know if Tyler Lockett has broken a tackle in the last five years. When you're a sub 200 pound wide receiver, yeah, maybe get to the ground. You're more valuable than freaking trying to muscle for an extra two yards. Is that that crazy to think? Yeah, yeah. I think like getting open catching the ball, running, all good things that you can do that do not involve breaking tackles, which, yeah, you can have your A.J. Browns, you can have your Debo's of the world, they make some big plays sometimes, but primarily that's not how guys are accumulating their, those yards. And I think what's interesting about Olave, and we've seen this a few times now, whether it's Jeff, Justin Jefferson, whether it was even going back to Odell Beckham, when you have multiple strong receivers on the same team together it becomes very difficult to use like production-based uh evaluation for them because there's just not enough share to go around there but it seems like people were high on him he got drafted very high guys like matt Harmon nailed it when it came to Olave. he's looked great this year Final note would just be with Taysom Hill. Only one rush attempt last week, one target and one pass attempt. Disappointing usage in a game that, again, didn't even include Mark Ingram. So more and more feeling like Kevin, just a continued chase of that obviously incredible week five performance where he had the three rushing touchdowns and a passing touchdown out there. Maybe it's a factor of the offense, like falling off a little bit in past weeks, but he only has one carry inside the five-yard line this entire season. I mean, Kamara and Dalton have two for crying out loud. So Look, Taysom Hill, uh, you said before with tight end, after you have the first couple guys, you can kind of start moving around, you know, however you feel like. But for me, Taysom Hill, definitely more, I think, of a borderline tight end one than as someone that you should actively be moving up, you know, into the top six. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you need explosives, right, with him. And then last week, I mentioned the third down thing. I think they started off like one of eight or two of nine on third down. And he's not going to be your third down quarterback. He's not going to be your your third down guy. So if you can't convert and get a new set of downs, which gives a couple of opportunities to potentially use Taysom Hill, then he's just not going to be that valuable. Last plays, two and seven Panthers, again, facing the Falcons on Thursday night football. Three-point home dogs are the Panthers with a lowly 44 game total. That's probably continuing to drop. I think I actually saw it's already at 43. So, hey, same banged-up Falcons defense that DJ Moore and company went bonkers against just a couple weeks ago. A.J. Terrell once again ruled out. The backfield, unfortunately, is going to include Chuba Hubbard again, so that's going to complicate things. I do not think Deontay Foreman or Chuba are must-starts by any stretch of the imagination. Their quality, RB3 plays, maybe don't even say quality. Just say RB3 plays, and if you do get a close start sit question with either, I will probably be taking the other guy. So I think the real question is, Kevin, is what to make of DJ Moore. I'm fine going back to well with him as a top 20 option because the two things that we have had going for us – I guess three things with DJ Moore. 
one, we saw him burst out, have some big games. We know he's still a very talented receiver. And in the year 2022, after obviously seeing that plenty during the first three, four years of his career two, Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey aren't coming back and we can slander Robbie all we want. Deservingly so fine, whatever he was active target competition for DJ, not to the same extent Terrence Marshall has been. And three, he keeps getting really good matchups. And this once again is a good matchup against a defense that was already struggling against wide receivers before losing AJ Terrell and Casey Hayward. They're two starting outside cornerbacks. So DJ Moore, are we good with this rain win stuff aside? We're okay with it. Okay. <laughs> okay. We're not good, but we're okay with it. I mean, yeah, when you have, I think it was nine passing yards in the first half last week. Not great. Guess what? 100% share is not really doing you very much good <laughs> in that sort of circumstance. So, yeah, you can't really blame more for that. And, and I don't really expect that to happen again this week against this defense. Um, yeah, you're, you're, hoping for, you're hoping for the best here, but you don't feel great about it, of course. NFC West, your first place Seattle Seahawks sitting there at six and three again, traveling to Germany this Sunday. Get those lineups set before 9:30 a.m. Eastern time. They will be facing off against the Buccaneers. Buccaneers still getting the benefit of the doubt here. Two and a half point favorites. The game total at 44 and a half. Vegas just does not accept these Seattle Seahawks as being for real, Kevin. What some of us do, some of us believe in Geno Smith. And man, top. Said before, I asked you, I think in week five or so, I was like, how long do we need to look at these stats that tell us he's a top 10 quarterback before saying he's a top 10 quarterback? And I believe you were fair enough and said top 15. But seriously, man, third in PFF passing grade and passer rating, six in yards per attempt, adjusted completion rate, fourth in big time throw rate. He's 20th in turnover worthy play rate. But okay, when you're hitting some of the big time throws, he is downfield forcing defenses to defend that. Like, I don't think that's the end of the world to have a little bit of a leniency to turn the ball a little bit more often. So I mentioned uh, in the AFC episode where I took all the NFC West and the AFC West quarterbacks. I basically averaged out the ranks for all these statistics. And Patrick Mahomes came in as the second best quarterback in the league and Geno Smith third. So not saying long-term Kevin, but Geno Smith has been a top 10 quarterback this year. Is he your comeback player of the year or Saquon Barkley? No, I think he should be the comeback player of the year. I don't know if he will be, but I think he should be. And so this, when I was doing my podcast, Unexpected Points, check it out on your whatever podcast app that you use. Um, On Monday, when I was doing the review of the game for the Seahawks, I mentioned a word talking about the Seahawks, talking about the combination of the good passing game, the good running game, and a defense that's maybe playing league average-ish, and they're in the NFC. Do you know what word that I mentioned that I kind of shocked myself that a word was mentioned when talking about them? Or Sorry. two words, I should say. Two words were mentioned. Two descriptive words for the Seahawks? That's what Well, just, just words were mentioned in relation to the Seahawks and their chances of doing something, potentially. I hope you didn't say fraud. No, no. Two, oh, okay. The two words I mentioned: Super Bowl. Ooh, as like, wow. Like, could they? They're gonna. They're gonna probably make the playoffs. They have a top ten ish sort of offense with maybe a league average sort of defense. It's just it's, I, my whole point was like this is a team that could go. It's some possibility of them going to the Super Bowl, right? And just imagine that. Imagine how wild that is for this team. But I don't think we can really deny it right now. Um, you get, 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 maybe I get a graphic for that has some possibility <laughs> of potentially maybe if everything goes right going to the Super Bowl maybe I, I like, like that the, I like the odds yeah there we go uh <laughs> hey quote me on that 
fourth in total points uh, per game this season. And you look at the defense again. This was we had the hilarious matchup against the Lions in week four, where it was like the number one, number two scoring offense versus the number yeah. 32 and 31 ranked scoring defense. And the next week, you know, they had the Saints game. I believe that was uh I don't know, I think that was just in New Orleans, but they had that, that was game. another shootout. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad early in the season. It was bad. Since then, though, nine points allowed to the Cardinals, 21 last week. One of those was a pick six. Chargers scored 23. Giants scored 13. So I get it. Admittedly, not, you know, the strongest strength of schedule since then, but the defense really has been rising up. And again, that pass defense specifically, they've only allowed more than 210 passing yards three times all season. So Seattle Seahawks, man, Super Bowl. You heard Kevin basically guaranteed it for the you know That's Seahawks it. faithful this year great Good day deal. to be a Seahawks fan and yeah the honestly the fantasy offense is pretty uh straightforward here Tyler Lockett DK Metcalf both have earned weekly must start treatment as upside wide receiver twos hell I think I actually put them into my top 12 this week and for good reason and then Kenneth Walker like Damian Pierce gonna get 20 plus touches regardless of the game script and guess what he's really good in a much better offense than Damian Pierce so keep firing up Kenneth Walker as a top 10 option my only other note is that Noah Fant I know he had the big 90 plus yard game last week hey he's a fast big athletic tight end that a lot of tight ends wouldn't have been able to have that 51 yard catch and run just realized from a usage standpoint he's still continuing to work behind will disley and we even got colby parkinson in there making things problematic as well so no offense still someone that i don't think deserves to be prioritized in that tight end two range by any stretch Returning from by your second place, four and four, San Francisco 49ers this week facing the Chargers at home on Sunday night football. And we talked about this with the Chargers episode, like just the fact that the 49ers are favored by seven uh, tells you kind of what Vegas is thinking here about Justin Herbert and company this year. But looking back at Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, stats here, Kevin, and we've even talked after specifically after the games, how there's been some meat left on the bone that really hasn't been due to Jimmy G, you know, Kittle run the wrong route in the end zone a little bit here and there, some drops uh was it ray ray mcleod that deep deep dime from jimmy g earlier in the season down the middle jimmy g you know it seemed like coming off the uh elbow earlier on the season he had the big stinker against the broncos but let's face it the broncos as we said before maybe the best defense in the nfl so if you just take away him running out the back of the end zone uh really good stuff really throughout most of this year so yeah i guess just i know you're pretty much mr jimmy g truther being actually good over here he's been good man hell yeah jimmy g Yeah, yeah. Good, not great. Definitely. But even to say that is apocryphal in certain uh, (laughs) places within the dark web of of Twitter. (laughs) What I think is an interesting storyline this week is Debo's return. And I just think McCaffrey and Debo are two guys that are going to somewhat cannibalize each other this season. So unless you get like big performances passing wise, because I still think Christian McCaffrey, yeah, you're going to have the run, but when he gets involved in the passing game, that's when he's really unlocked there. Unless you have enough to go around to everyone, I think there could be a degree of frustration with those two players, in particular Debo, um, because it's easier just to get the ball to McCaffrey sometimes. I think there could be frustration with these guys where people are expecting, oh, I got a you know a top 10 receiver, I got a top two running back, and that's the way they're going to perform week in and week out. I'm just not quite sure. I'm interested to see them playing together with Christian McCaffrey fully integrated into the offense. 
there's going to be situations like with the Eagles and Devontae Smith, like we just talked about, where yeah. no, I don't think Devontae Smith, because he's busted in three straight weeks, is all of a sudden a bad player. But you're telling me that this offense, each of McCaffrey, Debo, George Kittle, and Brandon Ayuk are just going to be putting up big numbers every week? Most likely not. I mean, this still is just the 19th ranked scoring offense on the season. I know they've been improving, but this isn't a situation where I think we should be expecting multiple weekly high-end performers. So, yeah, obviously started McCaffrey, no matter what, even if there's a fire. And the same is going to be true for Debo. But if we do have to get more used to Debo being more of a wide receiver too, which let's face it, this year, man, his expected points really have been more wide receiver two level. And he hasn't been just outperforming everybody like he did last year. I mean, Debo Samuel, the kind of, we talked about the Debo Samuel rushing role. It wasn't so much the role. It was Debo Samuel is the NFL's best running back last year. Like that was kind of what was going on there. The dude, look at any metric you wanted. I mean, when you're out there averaging 6.2 yards per carry, you score eight touchdowns on 59 carries. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of fantasy points this year. Just hasn't touched we're not like plunging in from the one yard line. These are touchdowns that are being scored like 15, 20 yards away. So when you take that away, just on the season, man, his most targets in a game is 10. Otherwise, he's been between, you know, six and nine every single week. Rush attempts, I mean, you got to go all the way back to week three to find the last time that Debo had more than two rush attempts in a game. He hasn't had more than 12 rushing yards in a game since week two. He hasn't scored a rushing touchdown since week one. So the Debo Samuel, quote unquote, role last year didn't even happen until week nine or week 10 when it was almost kind of forced uh, because of injuries in the first place. I don't think this is a situation where we can expect five plus carries a game for Debo especially with McCaffrey in town so doesn't help Ayuk doesn't help Kittle you know all these weapons are really good for Jimmy Garoppolo in the real life San Francisco 49ers just an unfortunate reality in fantasy when you only have one ball to go around much more depressing situation. Uh, third place, Los Angeles Rams, three and five, facing the Cardinals this week. Somehow, Rams still favored by three, which, you know, can be a slap in the face of Arizona if you want. But I think just more so speaks to the overall, just how terrible both these teams are. Let's call a spade a spade. Game total just at 43 and a half. Yeah, there's Cooper Cup. He's going to get 100 yards and a touchdown because he's fantastic. Otherwise, that's all. Tyler Higby is now a blocker. Uh, goose egged last week, just can't even get the routes that we're looking for. And again, it's, I didn't expect Higby to keep up the top six, top seven production because the basically the two best stretches of his career have coincided with when Sean McVay has really had the least answers of any stretch running this Rams offense. And you look at it on the season now, 29th ranked scoring offense. I mean, we talk about how bad the Buccaneers run game is. The Rams are right there. Buccaneers have 546 rushing yards. The Rams are at 547. Every other NFL offense has cleared 700 rushing yards with ease through nine weeks. So Kyron Williams, maybe he's back. Maybe Cam Akers gets more of a role. Maybe Henderson gets a role. It doesn't matter. This offense sucks. They're all going to continue shifting. And other than Cooper Cup, I have absolutely nothing here, Kevin. So it, any hope for the future? I have none. This offensive line just can't, can't do it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I have little. Not none, I would say. I mean, it still is a Rams offense. It's still Sean McVay. It still is Matthew Stafford, who has had some ups and downs in his career. So maybe there's some potential for an up going forward. Uh, Kyron Williams, I know they can't run the ball, but 
I don't know. I'm a little bit ambivalent about it. Like, I feel like it's a wasted roster spot in about 93% of scenarios. But in a scenario where they do the, get the offense turned around, McVay has seen and, you know, the ability to just ride someone. And he kind of hates everyone else in that <laughs> backfield. So why not the guy who's done, who hasn't gotten to be hated status yet, maybe has some chance if they decide to just, you know, turn it over to him, even though he's not the biggest guy. It's a possibility. Yeah, Cam Akers back in the fold after last week, and I was looking up. Uh, you I still w- have him on the PFF fantasy <laughs> squad, I, by the way? I, I, I try to look at that team as little as possible, uh, Kevin. <laughs> but I was looking up a stat thinking that Brian Robinson uh, was going to be dead last in the NFL in yards per touch. Nope, that award actually goes to Cam Akers among all running backs with at least 50 touches this season. So that's like the idea that they were going to get anything for him in a trade. Like, aren't you kidding me? And do I really think Cam Akers is the worst running back in the NFL? Maybe not, but it's not out of the question, man. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just it's, uh, it's, maybe. <laughs> I, ran, I ran my simulations on that when it comes up as being the worst running back in the NFL and about – 8.5 percentage of, of simulation. So it's, it's definitely possible. Last place, three and six, Arizona Cardinals again in Los Angeles this week as three-point dogs. So, man, I mentioned the NFC, AFC West uh, quarterback study I did. I did not expect the worst quarterback by a decent margin to be Kyler Murray. But, man, when you start looking at it outside the top 30 quarterbacks in yards per attempt this year, and I think what makes the Arizona Cardinals, I've called them this all year basically, the most frustrating offense in the NFL – isn't because they're the worst offense. We've talked about first half splits versus second half splits. They have had some great moments. And hell, the first drive of last week, they look great. Hopkins out there, great in separation, making plays. Rondale Moore being a bit of a spark plug with the ball in his hands. Kyler Murray actually getting some designed rushing usage and really playing up to some of his God-given ability there. So it's just always underwhelms and it comes crashing back to earth and we can blame it on cliff. We can blame it on Kyler about the end of the day. We're now again, running out of time for this offense to really change things around. So Kyler, he has these meant games. And then you look up at the end, he's got 20 fantasy points anyway. So I don't think it's going to keep him, you know, out of the positions, top eight quarterbacks, despite not having this great offense, but you know, compared to someone like the Rams, Kevin, like, are you more confident in the Cardinals really figuring it out? Because again, they are teams where, we know they have, I don't know what percentage your simulations uh, say it is, but there is a percentage chance of these offenses being really good. We've seen these pieces be really good before. How confident are you in these final now nine weeks or so of the season? The Cardinals actually turning into a really good offense. Uh, not that confident, but I'm confident that Kyler Murray, you know, has just committed to running the ball. So that's good. He's had uh, his worst. He was a uh, top 15 week has been, QB3, QB6 in some weeks recently. So I think that's okay going forward. DeAndre Hopkins had a little bit of an off week last week with his target share, which I wasn't even sure was really possible the way he played the couple weeks before that. But I think he'll bounce back and he'll be productive. But just overall for this team, stepping away maybe from the fantasy angle, because I'm not sure there's a lot outside of those guys and Zach Ertz right now. Um, I'm going to say Arizona Cardinals are the most disappointing team in the NFL this season because if you wanted to point to others if you want to say oh you know the green bay packers or if you wanted to say well you know the rams have been disappointing or the bucks have been disappointing i think the bucks can turn it around the rams you have your championship last year the packers you're probably already able to theorize as a packers fan how you're going to 
get rid of Aaron Rodgers and like rebuild and do whatever. The Cardinals, you just re-upped everyone, including Kyler Murray going forward. And so there's no like really easy path to improving and figuring out what this team is going to be uh, in the years to come. It's just really tough one to think about because they're almost out of contention for the playoffs already this year. So now we're talking about what are we going to do next year? I don't know. Things just get tougher with that Kyler Murray contract. I mean, also 31st ranked scoring defense. And I know they created the pick six last week, but, you know, having some of the big names they do in that front seven, and even guys like Buda Baker, you know, Brian uh, Byron Murphy Jr. has flashed, had the awesome performance against Devontae Adams in week two. I mean, offense, obviously, you know, this is an offensive league and stuff. We can put most of the blame there, but defense 31, 34, 34 points allowed over these past three weeks hasn't exactly been the solution to the problem as well. Quickly with the fantasy points. Yeah, Rondale Moore, though, the one good news is, and we brought this up and it's why we were confident going back to the well last week. He's had two duds this year, and it's really easy to tell. Those duds happened because they didn't have A.J. Green or Robbie Anderson running wind sprints at outside wide receiver. When we have Rondale playing a full-time slot role, which he's done four times this year, he's had seven, six, seven, and eight receptions. And he's starting to flash a little bit of that yak ability that made everyone fall in love with the dude in the first place. So uh, one of my favorite comps for him, uh, I know, Kevin, you, you, you're one of your famous patented catchphrases that all comps are bad, but Austin Gale uh, going into the draft I called Rondale Moore uh it was like Calvin Johnson like stuck in Cole Beasley's body was I think the actual comp he went Rondale so I'm not saying we've seen (laughs) they also said they also I believe it was uh PFF underscore Mike how come I'm always attacking PFF people during this podcast (laughs) PFF underscore Mike said Steve Smith I think was a comp for Rondale Moore so again all comps are bad again that just falls right into that go ahead I have not seen that out of Rondale at all, you could say. <laughs> yeah. At a minimum, though, we've gotten Well, it was some such a projection because it was like, I understand the guy only plays within one yard of the line of scrimmage, but we think he can do this sort of other stuff. I, maybe he can. So at a minimum has now entered that weekly upside wide receiver three uh, conversation and full PPR. I do feel confident trusting Rondale to maintain that the rest of the way. Only note on DeAndre Hopkins. It was disappointing last week, but I don't know if you saw this one, Kevin. He actually had a second touchdown at the end of the game that got nullified because Robbie Anderson couldn't line up in time on the complete other side yeah, of the field. So they had there was also a, a good false... drop from oh Robbie God. Anderson. You know, I ran my simulations on <laughs> – League's Jesus. biggest bonehead. I like talking about boneheads. Robbie Anderson comes in as being the number one bonehead in the NFL on a league leading 24% of simulations. Man, I was like trying to stick up for Robbie a little bit after he got traded from the Panthers because it's like, come on, you think Robbie's the real problem in Carolina? Uh, negative four receiving yards in three games with the Cardinals. Not not really helping my he argument. He was at eighty something percent of snaps last week. Uh, he's out there. He's he's running wind sprints, but he actually got a target on a key third down, and it was like poof, like oh my god, it was so bad. That was a bad drop. Objectively worse drop than your usual drop. Final yes. note here. James Conner did play his first game here since week four. 72% snaps. Only seven carries, 45 yards. You can argue that's a little more game script. Did have five catches for 19 yards. So similar to Jonathan Taylor, honestly, before he got injured, I think the big problem for Conner has been this offense not being as lethal. I mean, last year, only Jonathan Taylor had more goal line carries than James Conner. This year, though, Conner, just three rush attempts inside the five yard line. So I don't think we were ever hoping for James Conner to be this guy living on efficiency. He averaged freaking three point 
3.3, I think, yards per carry. Last season, like, it was one of those jokes where, like, Saquon, Kamara, and James Conner, I think they all averaged 3.7 yards per carry, but Saquon was the only one people were saying were, was washed because Kamara and Conner were getting receptions or touchdowns and able to get their fantasy points from other means. So, that said, Kevin, 70% plus snaps, a player that in a normal game script, we expect to get 15 to 20 carries and targets. James Conner, buying low? I might be, actually. So this is a, a rare L I'm going to take here because oh. I think last week, I don't know, I'd have to check the tape. I haven't checked the tape here, but I believe last week I said I was not too optimistic on Connor because I thought that maybe Benjamin and Ingram had carved off enough where it would be a similar-ish sort of situation to what we talked about in Atlanta. Um but th- that workload is great. I mean, it's a great workload. It's not it's 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 everything you could hope for. So right now, I do think he is a buy low type of guy because you're not going to like live off of huge efficiency on a down by down basis off of a great offense. But on a particular week, you could end up getting a couple of touchdowns and enough catches to make him easily, you know, a top 12 running back. Um, I-, I-, I like it. I like him. And also, Kyler does not do QB sneaks. And I haven't even seen the Cardinals join kind of the league-wide trend of just having, you know, a tight end motion across and take the snap uh, either. So, yeah, Kyler Murray, literally one quarterback sneak his entire career. And I do think that's a conscious decision because we have seen Colt McCoy and even Chris Strebler, uh, God forgive we forget about the CFL superstar, but in there, just spot stars. Like, they've had five combined QB sneaks. So that's why with Kyler Murray, dual-threat quarterbacks like that, you know, we usually see them not produce the most fantasy-friendly running backs because, you know, they're factoring into that equation and they're scrambling instead of dunking it off. But going in this year, 2019 and 2021, Cardinals running backs were tied for fourth in rush attempts inside the five-yard line. So hopefully we do see that come back, regress a little bit positively, some might say, in the in the direction of James Conner. Well, one thing I do want to see, though, if we could combine the tight end sneak with Zach Ertz, who famously can't break a tackle. Like, how does that work together? How does, how does, how does Ertz's ability to push a pile, does that affected by his inability to break tackles? Those two things coming together, I think, can solve a lot of the world's most vexing questions. A month since at Zach Ertz Yak has tweeted, come on, man, R. they R. were doing it to start the year. One of the best accounts on Twitter. If anyone out here knows uh, the at Zach Ertz Yak Twitter account, tell them that we need them. I just need my no, no, nope, nah tweets. Grace in the timeline week after week. But with that, we're going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in for these previews. Kevin and I truly do enjoy bringing them to you guys. Always good to be able to just bark for hours on end with you, my guys. So, Kevin, let the people know what you got over at PFF.com in addition to the podcast you plugged. Unexpected points where, guess what, you make some unexpected points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to we're gonna be struggling, I think, for some listeners to recapping the, <laughs> the, the Falcons-Panthers uh, game. But I will do that along with the news of the week, of course, on Unexpected points uh quarterback rankings all the showdown stuff that's out there and then yeah you get to hear me here every single week uh chopping it up here uh, working on catchphrases i never got a ninja gets it in this time i'm gonna have to write that with a sticky note on my screen but well we're, we're gonna work that in maybe i gotta i'll release it on twitter sometimes during the d- during the week maybe during the lions game about ninja and, and we'll get that going
Yeah, you're talking to the wrong podcast host if you're hoping to have chances to talk about kickers at any point uh, in this. But yes, check out all that from Kevin. And I've already uh, convinced Kevin to do these uh, exit interview podcasts with me once teams start to get eliminated from playoff contention. So those are going to be a nice, fun series we're going to have after this season. So as always, you know, we got our little five-week in-season plan, but you longtime listeners know, never exactly sleeping even throughout the offseason. So plenty of goodness, uh, you know, in store for all you guys and appreciate all the support this season and over the years so for kevin i'm ian thanks so much for tuning in to pff fantasy football podcast and until next time take care everybody <laughs>